Hello, Wild Wanders, and welcome to our wicked window of the internet. Won't you pour yourself a cup of your best tea, light a candle to stave away the darkness, and cozy up as we tell you a story? Wittershins is a weekly podcast where we will dive into the dusty bookshelves and winding darkened pathways looking to stories from folklore, fairy tales, mythology, legend, and beyond. We are accompanied by our trusted bard and guitarist, Joe Saborin, who will be live composing for us as our characters find their way out of the thickets and snarls of their tales. My name is Ashley Nunez, and I will be your narrator to peer over bough and branch, following our heroes and foes into far distant lands, both familiar and unknown. Let us begin Once Upon a Time. Hey everyone, this is your narrator, Ashley. And your bard, Joe. And we are here after a fair belated return to the podcast stage um, with our discussion for the Seed Maiden. I absolutely love Irish myths and legends in the same way that I love Irish music because it pulls from so many different places. Seafaring cultures are brilliant when it comes to storytelling um so this story for me is so cool because of that it it has so many different stories in it i counted um the um portion where he's going down to save uh the princess from from some sort of three-headed beast feels so much like a book that i read called the irish cinder lad which is definitely something that has come from a lot of folklore. Um, the thing within a thing within a thing within a thing which holds the soul of the villain of the story uh, is straight out of Russian folk tales. Um, there's a story called Koshai the Deathless. Um, and the animals helping uh, in a set of three is the same, although I think it's bird husbands who help uh, the hero Ivan in that story. Yeah, I mean, you have a lot of... This story, it, it encompasses a lot of things, and it's it's kind of funny because, you know... There are a lot of uh, fairy tales um, that can be a lot more straightforward where it's, okay, protagonist is going and doing a thing, has some trouble along the way, has to go fight some sequence of three things, and then ultimately marries the prince and or princess or has some other sort of happy ending and or dies in a really horrible way. Um, you get... <laughs> all of that here plus a lot of other things um you know it's it's kind of funny because like if you think like oh the sea maiden you know you would think that it's pretty predominantly focused on the sea maiden but realistically when you're going through the story she appears in the very beginning and at the very end and it's it's almost more of a frame story for everything that's happening within um you know the the this particular story and this collection is coming from like right at the end of the 19th century so you don't know where all of these are coming from it's it's very easy that, to think that this could be pulled from a lot of different locations and that someone was just maybe trying to fill as much as they could to make an exciting story because the main points of conflict that happen are completely irrelevant to the sea maiden yeah, it's interesting, too, in, again, as I opened, in how Irish that feels. If you read um, things like the story of Cú or um, 
uh, other portions of the Ulster cycle, you get these moments like Kukulin battles uh, in these one-on-one battles with these ridiculous uh, opponents for days and days and days, and you can just see someone stretching the story with that. You can see someone going, and then he threw an apple through 20 different people, and it goes on for some time like that. And this very much feels like... It feels like a story that a grandfather would tell to me. It feels like a story that you would tell to entertain people just kind of, you know, sitting in a circle around a fire or something like that. It's, it's a beautiful story in that way. Well, I think, you know, when you're thinking about stories, particularly folk tales, fairy tales, you know, these types of tales that are not sweeping myths, for instance. But even that has some of the same thread of, you know, you they come from oral tradition. So these sorts of stories would be told by a storyteller who's gathered scraps here and there to kind of weave this weird quilt of story together. And it's going to adjust depending on the room and depending on who they're telling it to. You know, the, the biggest thing that is challenging about this podcast and what we're trying to recreate, um, but, you know, kind of have a bit of a challenge doing is that feel of being in an intimate setting and having a story told to you, like, you know, whether it's by a fire, like, you know, thinking of sort of like a dark, dusty, like pub room and a bunch of people just like hunched over together at night to try to stave away the darkness and the chills. It's like, you know, that I would say is the lofty goal of what we're going for. But that's where a lot of these stories come from and or not come from, but how they get perpetuated before they were written down. It's fun too. Cause speaking to that sort of energy that we try to put into the podcast, that's so much like where the type of playing that I'm doing comes from anyway. Like this is the type of stuff that I would do, like sitting at the end of a, of the kitchen table at my grandparents' house on a holiday when I was just like, everyone would be telling ridiculous family stories that were just that that you've heard a million times but they get new little elements or they get new little storytelling details and and there's me kind of using the guitar as a fidget to to be you know socially in the in the space um but also just sort of accompanying the stories then um so it it's interesting to think about that for the first time as we're recording tonight, I, I was just sitting here going, oh, I've, I feel like I've done this before. Um, because I have. And even just thinking also, you know, we've had some stories where the the, the instrument playing and the, the telling are really kind of playing and building off of each other. You know, this was something where I would say in the beginning, it really started as stories being told and instrumentation is just kind of like helping with that initial world building versus maybe a buildup of dread like we would see in a Poe tale or a, um, you know, creation of rhythm that's going to go across for some of the more like the poetic works. Um, it's something where it's building and it's building off of this familiarity and it's trying to create that that like touchstone point, which you have, I mean, in any story, regardless of whether it's a fairy tale or if it's something you have to start from the familiar and from the normal. I'm saying that in air quotes, giant, which you can't see, giant air quotes. <laughs> but you have to start from the normal and then you kind of get out of there. So, I mean, that's where you have in the beginning, this person is like thrust 
out of a situation where they were born, kind of from conflict, moving along from there. It's very much the, um, I started out this episode with the John Williams School of Storytelling Through Music, um, which if you haven't seen a Star Wars movie, um, go for the music. It is worth it for the music. Um, and also the rest of the story. But um, one of the things that John Williams did when he was scoring Star Wars is he thought, you know, I'm going to take a lot of cues from composers people know in how I write the music for this this space movie that no one's ever seen anything like. And what that did is it gave you, like, an anchor point. And I, I, we used to, when, when I was going to school and, like, studying music and studying music theory, the joke was, and then John Williams ripped off everybody else's thoughts, but it's like, yeah, kind of, that's kind of the point, is it, it sounds like Wagner, it sounds like all of these composers, to give you that familiar tie-in to the world. So you, you're not just thrust into this world where you know nothing, and also, you know, you're hearing these sounds that you don't understand. You have some sort of a tether um, between this outlandish story and the real world. And then as we get deeper into the story, I, I start to take cues, and I still layer in that familiar idea and that familiar idea of rhythm, and um, but with sort of more otherworldly sounds and, and sliding and things like that, um, which is why I pulled the resonator guitar for tonight. It's such a good s guitar for kind of clanky and... Um, you know, space-driven sounds. And even if you go back also to, you know, the actual words within the beginning of the story, you know, it starts out by saying it was a day of days. You know, this is a very, it's something that we've, we've spoken to a little bit before in other, um, in other fairy tales in particular. I mean, this is a very common thing that you see where there is this beginning of, Either, you know, it's a day of like, like any other day, it's something where there is that element of familiarity, but it's also just so non-specific and vague that it could be anything. So it's, it's this kind of partial suspension of disbelief, but are also like partial just, yeah, you're here. It, it's just, it is. And now we're going on, you know, there, there's no pretense that comes with fairy tales. And that's one of the things that I really enjoy about them like you know you have animals speaking and you have all of this stuff and it's just oh you divided our food of course we owe you a favor you know there's all of these things that you don't have to explain in a fairy tale because there is this kind of world that you're brought into um and that's where the the sort of preamble that you get within you know the first like sentence or two just really brings you into that space even a time period the, the story doesn't really give a time period for when uh the thing happens and i think that if you were trying to build like a, a true story sort of a feel or like make your reader or your audience think that this actually happened um specific dates and things like that hard dates numbers are really good for that um, but for fairy tales, one of my favorite aspect is like, you just tell the story and people build their brain picture of what it is. Like, I'm sure that everyone kind of came up with an idea of what this character looks like when he's in his fine arraignment to go and, 
um, marry, marry the princess, it was probably very Renfair shaped. And I don't think anyone would dress that way in any period of time other than October at King Richard's Fair. Eh, I, I wouldn't. <laughs> You're going to get a lot of SCA folks that are not going to be pleased with that statement. Come at me. <laughs> Please don't. Or specifically him. I don't mind that. Um, but, I mean, that's, like, even the, the main character. Actually, none of the characters really have a name with the exception of the, the giants, really, are the only ones. And their names are this sort of nonsensical, kind of guttural thing. And on top of that, that's a fairy tale thing, is you'll either have nameless characters or, as I said, in Cushé the Deathless, um, the main character's name is Ivan, which, to the American ear, sounds, you know stereotypically Russian, and that's kind of the thing. There are so many Ivans and Prince Ivans in Russian folklore, and it's the same thing with um, European and English folklore, where you get, like, a million and a half Jacks. You know, all the characters' names Jack or John or things like that. It allows the audience member or the, the listener or the reader to just like completely get into that space they don't have to get into specifics they just have to get into cool there is a guy he's gonna do these things and i think that helps with the suspension of the disbelief you know if we told the story and it was and on this day you know king charlemagne went and did this when you have these like real fleshed out feeling characters it doesn't feel like they can coexist with talking dog yeah, I mean, it's very much fairy tales are built off of tropes. So if you go and try to flesh out a character too much, I mean, A, it's a fairy tale. It's it's a couple pages long. You're not going to get real extensive world building and character building. It's It follows tropes for a reason. Um, but, you know, it's... So it does things to just give you clues into different things. And like, you know, Joe was saying, with names, like, depending on where it's from... It chooses kind of the most common familiar names that you're going to have like across the board um, to just make sure that you're really in it. But it's also just something where, like I said, you're, you know, you're building, you're thinking about this as if this were actually being told before books, you know, before we had this story that I was reading from Joseph Jacobs, like, you're, you have these storytellers who have heard them from other people or learned them from other people or it's been passed down or something. So it kind of has to have this loose framework. I mean, in more elaborate stories, if you're thinking about like Homer and all of that, you get uh, you get ways to frame it so that you remember very specific elements of the story to keep it along. But with like the shorter ones, you kind of just know oh yeah, here's the basic like framework of what happens. Um, you know, if you go, if you go back on our blog, actually we did last week, we kind of, I wrote an article or a post that was speaking to sort of the makeup of stories and how we remember things over time. Um, specifically referring back to the story we were going to initially choose last week did not happen because when we actually read it, we realized that it's terrible. But the point of it is that it's, it's, there's certain things and stories and frameworks because they're really simple. They kind of follow a very sort of, you know, point A to point B 
lots of meandering in the middle, but it's things that you're familiar with. So you remember with Rip Van Winkle, with Little Red Riding Hood, you know, you, you know what the framework is because it's just part of your cultural memory. It's things that are told over and over and over again. And I think those are the things that give the storyteller um, kind of room for their own dramatic flair. Like if you look at a fairy tale, it's a very simple thing. There's not a lot of description. You know, um, the the sea maiden doesn't even have a description of what the sea maiden is. Um, and it's left to either the imagination of the listener to go, ooh, I can figure out what a sea maiden is in my brain. Or it's left to the storyteller to go, and she was six feet tall and had fangs and all these different things. And it's so... Yeah, those are flourishes you would definitely get in the moment and you'd be reading off of people. Like maybe if it's with kids, you're trying to scare them. If it's like around like a darker time and, you know, there's all these different ways you can build off of it. Definitely. And it's one of the things that I would love to see us explore some of. Um, not not right away, but down the road, sort of that more descriptive element of storytelling where you can kind of take the writing as like guidelines <laughs> yeah more less rules more guidelines yeah and i mean if this is also something where eventually we would like to do this kind of thing live and have these moments and really bring this like storytelling element you know, in front of humans instead of just our cat who's very unamused by this entire proceeding. Oh, live performance in front of humans. When will you return to us? Wittershins is created by Ashley Nunez of Old Growth Alchemy and folk musician Joe Saborin in the presence of their curious cat Django, a few too many half-drunk cups of tea, and far too many begrudgingly half-completed art projects. If you'd like to follow along Joe and his musical machinations, you can find him at Joe Saborin Music on Facebook and Instagram, or joesaborin.com. For more glimpses into the wild woods of story, botanical libations, and sensual ephemera, you can find me, Ashley, at Old Growth Alchemy on Facebook and Instagram, or at oldgrowthalchemy.com. Or you can become patrons to us both on Patreon. Until next time, friends new and old, we'll be sure to keep the kettle on with a seat open for you by the fire. <laughs>